I don't know if you're aware or not, but the songs we sang were from the Psalms, and it's been a very Psalm-oriented service today. For many believers, the book of Psalms is their favorite book in the Bible. It is the most quoted book in the New Testament, and it has some of our most beloved passages. Probably the number one favorite passage or chapter is Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. William Law wrote in the 1700s in his book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, and he wrote these words, and this is what I'm hoping for this series. There is nothing that so clears away for your prayers, nothing that so disperses dullness of heart, nothing that so purifies the soul from poor and little passions, nothing that so opens heaven or carries your heart so near it as these songs of praise. They create a sense of delight in God. They awaken holy desires. They kindle a holy flame. They turn your heart into an altar. They turn your prayers into incense and carry them as sweet-smelling savor to the throne of grace. That's what we want for you in this series. We want the book of Psalms to shape your mind and your heart, and as the video showed, your soul, which is basically your whole being. And the reason behind this title is, first of all, the Psalms are instructive. They speak to the mind. When you read the Psalms, you are meant to learn some things about God, about human nature, and about how life is to be lived. Jesus used the Psalms to combat false teachers. The New Testament writers use Psalms to teach doctrine and point people toward the truth. Psalm 1 is the introductory Psalm, and we're going to look at that specifically next week. And it says about the one who is blessed that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now the word for law is Torah, and the general meaning of Torah is instruction. So the entire book of Psalms is introduced by a call to meditate on God's instruction. Meditate intelligently, not mindlessly. This isn't Eastern meditation, you know, that kind of thing. Even today, I think we learn as much theology from the music we sing as we do from the sermons we hear. Tell me the music you're listening to, and I'll tell you what you're thinking. I'll tell you a little bit about your worldview and your attitude toward things. The Psalms are instructive. Let it speak to your mind. Secondly, the Psalms are songs or poems, and they speak to the heart. The effect of poetry or singing is intended to stir up and carry our affections. If you read Psalms only for instruction and doctrine and teaching, you are not reading them for what they are. They're musical. And the reason human beings express truth with music and poetry is to awaken and express emotions that fit that truth. Now, we all know the power of music. We've heard enough about that. We know that music lessons are helpful in developing young people academically, emotionally. Uh, Listening to music can improve your health. It can reduce pain. Musicians who play an instrument, Logan, you'll like this. Musicians who play an instrument have bigger and more sensitive brains than people who do not play instruments. That's according to scientists in Heidelberg University in Germany. Bigger and more sensitive brain. I'm going to go play piano a little more. Music can also be used in negative ways. Someone posted something on Facebook, and I I saved this. It's the music that the CIA uses to torture people. Top songs the CIA uses to torture prisoners. There is a song by Metallica, Bee Gees, Neil Diamond, Britney Spears. The ones I thought were more interesting were like, We are the champions. Nancy Sinatra, these boots were made for walking. Barney and Friends theme song, that's torture. Sesame Street theme song. Uh, Now you know why parenting is so hard. You have to listen to that all day and it's torture. The Meow Mix jingle made the list. 
Music is powerful. It can torture, but it can also bring all kinds of joy. Many of these psalms were written to be sung and not read. So when you're reading them, realize this is made for music. It's poetry, and it's to speak to your heart. If you ever wonder, why is it so hard for me to get through the Old Testament? Partly, it's because a third to a half of all the Old Testament is poetic form. I'm, on your outline, there's three broad categories of Old Testament literature. You can take just about any passage in the Old Testament classified in one of these three. First is God's direct revelation. Thus saith the Lord passages. God speaks directly through the law, through the prophets, the Ten Commandments. He gives us His word. He gives us instruction. It's straight from God and it's very direct. The second form is narrative, which is recounting God's acts in history. These are the stories of the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the flood, the exodus, Joshua, Judges, and the kings. Uh, These are stories we learn in Sunday school like David and Goliath and Joseph in Egypt. God is revealed in history and in these stories. And then the third type of literature is the human response. These are the responses of men and women to what God has done and to who God is. How are we to live in this world that God's created? And much of this is in poetic form. Uh, the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, those are large, in large parts of the prophets, those are all in poetic form. Now, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. I wish it did. I love rhyming poems. Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. Of these three kinds of literature, I think poetry is the hardest to read. And today, if you just took a song and just read their lyrics... It's not meant to be read. It's meant to be sung. So you need to remember that. If you open your Bible and go right about to the middle of the Bible, you will probably come to the book of Psalms. And you'll find, if you looked at this, the whole book, there are actually five books of Psalms. Book 1 is chapters 1 through 41. Book 2 is 42 through 72 and so on. Five books. And a lot of people say there's a parallel between these five books of Psalms and the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you have five books of God's revelation to us, the law, God's speaking to us, and then these five books in Psalms is our response to God's revelation to us. Eugene Peterson wrote a little book on Psalms called Answering God. It's the human response to what God has told us and revealed to us. So these poetic sections are very expressive, often very personal. It appeals both to the mind and to the heart. So I'm going to give you uh, the rest of this sermon just some reasons for the popularity of the Psalms, why so many people have received help and inspiration from these songs. I'm going to go so far as to say you need this book. You need uh, to deepen your walk with God and to impact both your head and your heart. This has been called the literary sanctuary of the Bible. And I want to challenge you to read I've all of us to read through the Psalms, through some of the Psalms this summer. Some of you might want to read all of them, and you'll have to read two or three a day to to get through them. But I would suggest read some select Psalms, spend time with them, contemplate them. I'll give you some suggestions each week on different Psalms you might want to read this week. Seven Psalms for seven days of the week. I believe the number one factor for our walk with Christ, and that will help us grow, is that daily Bible consumption and prayer. So do it, if you would. Why read the Psalms? Number one, Psalms has the ability to express the inexpressible. Music and poetry expresses things that cannot be expressed in prose or narrative. A man in love writes poetry to a girl to express the heights of his affection, to express what words cannot say. 
Uh, he'll use a lot of images and metaphors like your lips are like rubies, your eyes are like deep lipid pools of blue, your cheeks are like cherries. Song of Solomon is a love song. says, my love to me is a cluster, cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. Whatever that means. Or like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the maidens. Not very scientific, not very straightforward, certainly not direct or narrative. It's expressive language, expressing what's deep within. It's almost like when you read the Psalms, we're looking into the personal diary of these singers and these poets. We see what they're feeling, what they're struggling in their lives. Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, so are you. That's the joyful poem, he's in love. Then after the breakup, he writes this, but the roses are wilting, the violets are dead, the sugar bowl's empty, and so is your head. (laughs) The reason music is so popular with people, it expresses what they're feeling. Instead of saying, saying, I don't like my job, the musician says, take this job and shove it. You can't say it any better than that. One of my favorite songs is Top of the World, Karen Carpenter. When that song comes on, I immediately feel better power of music. Poetry, the attempt to transcend the limits of normal language and give expression to something that's not easily expressed. How do I express my gratitude to this God? How how can I put that into words? How can I express my hopes or my fears or my guilt? How do I express the might or the power of God? And I am so glad that we have songwriters that are using the psalms and putting them to music for us. It's like we sang this morning. Psalm 93, I can hear the timpani in the background of this song. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. Boom, boom. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. Now, I could work the rest of my life on a sermon on the power and might of God, get a bunch of theological books out, and write some explanations, definitions, but it won't be any better in those five verses. You can't say it any better. Music And poetry is the ability to say the unsayable. So in your prayer life, the Psalms can be a great assistant. That You can pray the Psalms and have them pray for you, have them pray with you. It can help you word things, and it can help your praise as well. I could say, yeah, God cares for me, but it's much richer to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You can't say it any better. So spend some time with them. Second reason to read them, the Psalms are timeless and universal. Everyone from every generation can identify with them. Psalm 40, verse 2 says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit. How many of you can identify with that? You've been in the pits? We can all relate to that. When we study most of the books of the Bible, we usually need to do some background study to understand where the author's coming from and why they said this or that. With the Psalms, it's helpful to know that as well, but we don't need to know a lot of background of authors or the setting because the Psalms are universal and they speak to every believer of every age. It's like our hymn books and the, and the courses we sing today. We don't always know a lot about the authors or the setting in which they wrote, and yet they express universal emotions and thoughts toward God. People today still despair. People today still have times of joy. They still hate. They still have anger. People still question the presence of God. People still experience guilt or feel trapped or have low self-esteem. All those are in the Psalms. 
There's even one, I, I think Psalm 104, when I was reading, I wrote, wrote down in the margin, this is the farmer's psalm. There's even one for you guys. John Calvin called psalms an anatomy of all parts of the soul. The whole gamut of human experience is found in these 150 chapters. Third reason, the psalms are, and I love this, brutally honest. Life is often nasty, brutish, and distressingly short. And psalms is ready to say it and complain about it. Why? Where are you, God? Why are you silent? Why do you let injustice go unchecked? Why do the righteous suffer? What is, why is this happening to me? And it talks openly about enemies. And why is there so much unfairness? Psalms ask questions that a lot of churches won't allow. Well, just have faith. Just believe. It'll be okay. Well, just having faith doesn't deny life's realities. Our prayers are not always answered, at least not the way we want them to be. Godly people do get sick and die. And we do have troubles. And we dare not let religious faith be a denial of reality. Well, everything's wonderful, and we end up with country club churches where everybody is successful and everybody's comfortable, and how are you doing this morning? I'm fine. Liar. No, no one likes to admit failure. That we, blow, we live in this, kind of, this cover-up society. I saw a cartoon. Six preachers were sitting at a meal because we do this too. Uh, we cover up. We're, these pre- six preachers are having a good time. They're laughing and cutting up and all that and all their noses were about a foot long, like Pinocchio. And the caption read, the minister's gathering was going well until the question came up, how's your church doing? And no preacher wants to admit, we're struggling. Psalms forces us to face reality, squarely in the face. The Christian life is not all victory, and it's not all up, up, up. Listen to Psalm 38. When I read this one, I can't help but to think of someone in the nursing home or shut-in. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. I read that and I think of my mom, 92 years old. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. You think someone in the nursing home could sing that? Psalms is honest. Just won't allow cosmetic Christianity. Now, we think of Psalms primarily as a praise book, give God the glory, but there's actually more complaints and laments in the Psalms than there are praise Psalms. It just brings a fresh honesty to an often masquerading, cover-up, hypocritical world. Number four, although there's a lot of negative expressed, it always leads to the positive. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Psalms is called Songs of Praise. But when you look at the Psalms, like I mentioned, the, the laments substantially outnumber the songs of praise. By, fear, by sheer number, it should be called songs of lament. So why is it called songs of praise? Well, here's why. When you read the lament psalms, almost everyone ends up or contains some expression of faith in God and praise. In spite of being in the pits, the psalmist says there is hope because there is a God. In spite of my trials, He is my refuge and I will still praise Him. Psalm 5, just one example. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help. My King and my God, for to you I pray. He's going through a bad time. We don't know what it is. It's some crisis or some trouble. But all through this lament, there's an underlying trust in God. And at the verse, at the end, verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Begins with the negative, ends with God and the positive. Now, I, 
I've made jokes up here before about country music. And actually, I'll, let me confess, I actually like the old country music, the steel guitar and nasal sound, Buck Owens, Johnny Cash, and Willie Nelson, your cheating heart, you know, something like that. And studies, studies have been done on the effect of country music. It says the more radio, and this is scary, the more radio time they're devoted to country music, the greater the suicide rate. Now, no one wants to make a connection there, and these studies don't actually say that, but they do admit country themes foster a depressing, kind of a suicidal mood. And I got to thinking, you know, some of these songs, even the man in the moon is crying, and uh, misery loves company, just listening to that yesterday, just call me lonesome, tear in my beer, I never promised you a rose garden, steel guitar, nasal voice could depress anyone. I remember hearing one song, a guy's wife threw him out of the house, and one line goes, she meant what she said, she wished I was dead, she threw, me out, threw out everything I owned, where am I going to live when I get home? Many country music things are laments. Complaints, like the Psalms. Life is hard, it's unfair, it's nasty. They're brutally honest, and one reason country music is so popular, they are honest. One difference. Country music are laments without God. And so there's a hopelessness. You don't see that in Psalms. The Hebrew word for hope comes from a root word for rope. And the image is of a cord attached far ahead in time that pulls us toward the future. And that's a great picture of Psalms, pulling us into the future where it's going to be better. If you read all 150 of these, you will notice a gradual shift as you read from beginning to end. The first half of Psalms, I think, is a little harder to read because it's dominated by the, more of the laments and hardness of life and enemies. And as you move through the book and get closer to the end, you'll more and more praise songs and positive. The final seven psalms are just unadulterated, glorious, rambunctious praise to God. And then Psalm 150 is the fireworks of praise. So the book ends with a crescendo. And it's really a good picture of the life for the believer. You may be in the pits right now. You might be in you know, the first half of psalms. You may be struggling, but there's a future. And hope is pulling you toward praise. There will be a happy ending. You may be going through crucifixion today, but resurrection's coming. Psalms moves from grief to celebration. Psalm 126, I think, sums it up really well. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Starts negative, ends positive. Fifth reason, and this is the main goal for us over the next several weeks, Psalms bring us closer to God. They are a literary sanctuary right in the middle of the Bible. Now, a sanctuary is a place where God meets his people. And in Psalms, we meet God. And that'll be our number one goal for June and July as we go through this book. May I be honest this morning? I'm amazed that people actually sit in church just about every Sunday, but do not read the Bible and do not pray. How can that be? May I challenge you, all of us, to read some of the songs of the Bible you don't have to read a lot, but I want to challenge you to spend some time in the sanctuary. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book. So many of his prayers recorded in the Gospels were quotations from the Psalms. When he was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't just make that up. That's directly from Psalm 22. There was scripture in his mind and in his heart. So for the next several weeks, we're going to use the Psalms, and I want you to use them. Don't just look at them or listen to a sermon on them. 
if we engage this as a church, and I mean engage, I don't mean just show up and listen to a sermon. I'm talking about diving in, actually doing what we're asking you to do. What a novel thought, actually do something here. If we engage this as a church, be proactive, it will change us. I promise you, it will change our minds and our hearts. It'll be gradual. It won't be overnight. It won't be fireworks. But that consistent word and that consistent time in the sanctuary will have its effect. Suggested Psalms to read this week. Psalm 1, 2, 5, 6, 18, 13, 15. Seven of them for seven days. This series is going to be eight weeks long. If you want to read all the Psalms, you have to read about 20 a week. But all we're asking, and I would actually encourage you not to read 20 a week. Just some consistent time of reading Scripture, spending time with God that will shape your mind and your heart. I've seen a change in me. I started this about, oh, about two months ago, and I'm reading each Psalm, one or two a day. And... I've seen some changes. You need the word and you need to talk to God, so do it. Get to know God this summer. Make that your goal. Let's pray. Lord, you've spoken to us. You've communicated through your law, through your word, and through history. And these psalms are our response to you in good times and bad times, in every emotion of life. They speak for us. And I pray, Lord, as a church, that we will, over the next several weeks, know you deeper, to know you in our minds and in our hearts. May this hymn book of the Bible enter our lives and make changes. I pray this, and we pray this as a church, in the name of Jesus, our Savior.